Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Empty tomb moments, times when we have enough to believe, but not so much that we have to, which I think is our entire life. There are definitely some times where those moments are more pronounced. And so before we get to an empty tomb, we have to know there was somebody in it. So Mark 15, starting in verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance, so they're watching the crucifixion. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were there also. It was preparation day, that's the day before the Sabbath, so that's Friday. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So Mark wants us to know, no, no questions asked, that Jesus died and that he was buried. So there are three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, we call her the other Mary, and Salome. And they were, they were among a group of women who had been following Jesus for years. They were part of that larger group of disciples that we've been talking about. The guys have all left. They've all bailed at this point. And there's just some women that are watching the crucifixion from a distance and they see Jesus die. So they're eyewitnesses to Jesus's death. And then another guy comes on the scene that we've not met before, Joseph of Arimathea. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is a group of 70 Jewish elders that were kind of the, the ruling council for the Jews. He was a prominent member. That was the group that voted to convict Jesus and hand him on to Pilate to be crucified. And in the other gospels, we read that Joseph did not consent to that action. I don't know what exactly that means, if he abstained or if he voted no or how that played out, but it says he, he, he didn't consent. So he goes to Pilate boldly and asks for Jesus's body. Why boldly? Because Jesus has been convicted of treason. And so normally a criminal who is convicted of treason, would just, their body just be thrown outside. They weren't buried. And you wouldn't necessarily want to associate yourself with, with a traitor. And by asking for the body, that's what Joseph is doing. So it took some courage on his part and Pilate surprised. It normally would take maybe two, three days for someone to die from crucifixion. And Jesus dies in about three hours. And so he wants to be sure, is Jesus actually dead? So the centurion, who's a Roman guard over the crucifixion, he was supervising the whole execution. He says, did Jesus really die? And, and the centurion says, yes. And so Pilate gives the body to Joseph, who then takes the body to a, a cave. Oftentimes, Jews would bury in caves versus in the ground. Takes him to his own cave where he and his family would be buried, and he places Jesus's body in that, uh, in that tomb after he's wrapped it in linen. So all of that's Friday. And again, what Mark wants, wants us to know for sure, Jesus died and that Jesus was Buried. Sometimes there's this idea that Jesus just fainted when he was on the cross, which is pretty silly. The Romans executed hundreds of thousands of people during their reign, and there's no record of anybody ever surviving crucifixion, ever. And then we have the names. These three women, they saw Jesus 
die, and this is, it is sexist, but it's just the reality of the time. If you're Mark and you're writing a gospel 30-something years later and you're trying to convince people that Jesus died, you don't put uh, the testimony in the mouths of three women unless it's, unless it's true. Jewish society did not view women as reliable. They were actually considered so untrustworthy, they couldn't even testify in court. And so if you're making up a story, you're not going to make your eyewitnesses three women and a Gentile. You're going to come up with, honestly, some people who would be more believable to the people at that time. So Jesus really died, and he was really buried, and we know the, the place where he was buried. We know the address, Joseph of Arimathea, this prominent guy. We all know him. It was in his tomb. So what happens on Sunday? You already know. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So again, Jews tended to bury in caves versus in the ground. You see a picture behind me of maybe a typical tomb. Uh, the, the body would be placed on some kind of a, a slab in that cave. Uh, the body was anointed with spices, uh, not to embalm, but to cover the smell of decomposition. Uh, you would roll a stone in front of the cave opening to discourage grave robbers and to keep animals from getting in there and scavenging. You go back after a year, roll the stone back, go in, collect the bones, put them in a box called an ossuary, and then you'd put that box in a niche within the tomb and you could do the whole thing over again. So uh, the same tomb could have multiple uh, family members in it. In this case, we know Jesus was first. It was a tomb that had never been used before. And so the women are going on Sunday. They can't do anything from Friday night to Saturday night because that's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work. So when the Sabbath's over, they go and buy some spices. It's too late to get to the tomb. It's too dark. So they go once the sun comes up on Sunday morning and they're wondering how are we going to move the rock? It's heavy. One person could slide it into place because a lot of times it would be on an incline, but it would take multiple guys to push it back out of place so that you could get into the tomb and they know they're not strong enough. So they're wondering, are we gonna be able to get in or not? And they get to the tomb and the rock has been moved. So that's great news for them. And they go in and it's, it's not completely empty. Jesus's body's not there, but there's an angel who's sitting there. And he says, don't be alarmed, which they're going, they're, of course they're going to be. Of course, that word is, a, it's a word that it's an intense emotional word. It has to, that it's almost like being beside yourself, either by, because of surprise or perplexity. And of course they are. Of course they are alarmed. It's, it's difficult for us. I would say it's impossible for us to put ourselves in their shoes. The first thing that you heard about Jesus when you were five or you were 15 or you were 25 or is you heard he was raised from the dead. You've only always known that. There's never been a time where you didn't know if Jesus was raised from the dead. If he wasn't, you never would have heard of him in the first place. And that, that's all we've ever known. We can't fathom how disorienting and devastating the crucifixion was for those who followed him. 
But again, because we know the rest of the story, they're in the middle of it. So these women had spent three years following Jesus around, learning from him, listening to him, watching him. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. She had firsthand experience of the power of God at work in her life through Jesus. They, they at a minimum, they hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, and I think they believed that he was. And part of the Messiah's job would be to overthrow the Roman government. So when he's crucified, they don't, they, they don't, they, they can't fathom what just happened. This guy who they've spent three years seeing work miracles, seeing perform signs and wonders, hearing him teach things that they've never heard in their life, but that are resonating so deeply in their hearts. They personally, and they've seen with their own eyes, lives changed by Jesus. And now he's hanging on a cross. And, it, and that, that doesn't just mean the Romans beat him. In Deuteronomy, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. That's what a cross is. It's a tree. So it's not just Jesus isn't blessed. Jesus isn't called. Jesus isn't anointed. It's Jesus is cursed by God. Again, there's, there's no framework for that for them. That, the guys have all gone. The fact that the women are there at all shows something about their level of love and devotion for Jesus, they're, that they're willing to even show up on Sunday morning and try to tend to his body, that they haven't just given up either in, in disgust or frustration or devastation. And so don't be alarmed. That's not gonna happen. They're alarmed. The angel says, here's what's going on. You're looking for Jesus in Nazarene. He's not here. He's risen. Here's the place where they laid him. You can see it. We know from the other gospels that the, the cloth that Joseph wrapped Jesus in, is still there. Tell Peter and everybody else to go to Galilee and he'll meet him there. And the women, they just, they just bolt. And we probably would do the same thing. They're trembling. They're bewildered. They're afraid. They say they're not gonna say anything weird way for a gospel to end. If your Bible's like mine, it's got a line and then it says in italics, verses nine to 20, we're not in the, the oldest and the best manuscripts. So most likely, way back when, somebody was just like us and they're reading Mark and they get to verse eight and they think, he, he just didn't finish. I know what he wanted to say. And so they look at Matthew and they look at Luke and they look at John and they piece some things together and say, this is a better ending. And then they throw in something about drinking poison and picking up deadly snakes. Don't do that. It's in italics. That's not, don't do that part. But that, and he says here, this is better. This is better than how he, he closed it. Why would he do that? Why would he end with these women? And they're not, again, it says a lot about them that they were even there on Sunday morning, but their response to the empty tomb, it's, it's not faithful, it's, it's fearful trembling, bewildered, and afraid. And again, that, we, we easily could be in the same boat for sure. It's not judgment, but it's just the reality. They didn't acquit themselves well in the moment. Why would Mark end there? And if you believe the Bible's inspired by God, then why in the world would God say, yeah, that's a good spot? Let's stop there. If you, uh, most people b believe that Mark is writing Peter's story, we know Jesus appeared to Peter on Easter Sunday. Matthew tells us and Luke tells us and John tells us. Peter knows the story. For whatever reason, Mark doesn't include it. Jesus appears to these women not too far in the future. Mark doesn't tell the story. Why would he end there? Why would God lead him to end there? Mark's writing in 63, 64 AD to a small church in Rome. They're pressed. They're about to be persecuted pretty severely. They don't know that. God does. 
And I think what's going on, I think Mark, when he's looking at his congregation, and I think God, when he's stepping back and he's looking at all the rest of us, he's going, that's where you guys live. Y'all live in the empty tomb. For the next 40 days, Jesus appears to maybe 600 people. He appears to these women. He appears to Peter. He appears to the other 10. Judas has already hung himself. He appears to his brother James. He appears to 500 people. We don't know their names. And then a couple of years later, he appears to Paul in some weird way that we can't fully understand. But, it, but, but it's, a, it's a physical appearance to Paul. And that's it. That's it. After those 40 days, Jesus is ascended into heaven again. After that, it's just Paul one time a couple of years later, maybe in 36 AD. It's been 30 years since Jesus has appeared to anyone. He's not gonna do it anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Those days are over. And I think Mark, when he's writing, he knows that. Nobody's getting a bodily physical, material Jesus. You're not gonna get to see him with your eyes. You're not gonna get to touch him with your hands. You're not gonna get to give him a hug. You're not gonna see him eat and realize he's not a ghost, he's real. You're not gonna get to do any of that stuff. And Mary and Mary and Salome, when they're in that empty tomb, that's where we are. And that's where Mark's congregation is as well. It's what we said last week. God gives us enough to believe, but not so much that we must. We just sang that song, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that will be for some from love and devotion. For many, unfortunately, it'll be from fear and awe. And in, until that time, again, God gives us enough so that we can believe, but he leaves a gap. It's where faith or trust comes in and the other side of that is doubt. And there's room for both because God's desiring us, again, to come to him out of love and devotion, not necessarily because we've seen with our eyes. We're not Thomas. If you remember that story, Jesus shows up uh, in a locked room to, and, and, and all the disciples are there for whatever reason, Thomas isn't. And they see him and Thomas shows up later and he's, of course, he's upset because he missed out. And he says, I'm not gonna believe unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes and my hand in his side. And a week later, Jesus appears again and he says to Thomas, like, come on, do it. And Thomas believes, and Jesus says, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. That's Mark's congregation, and that's us. We get enough to believe, but not so much that we have to. Those women didn't have nothing. They had with their own eyes, they'd seen Jesus die. With their own eyes, they'd see Jesus buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. With their own eyes, they saw a tomb that was empty. They had enough to believe, but they didn't have maybe everything that they would have wanted in that moment. Jesus hadn't appeared to them physically and bodily. There was room for faith for them, just like there's room for faith for us. And again, because there's room for faith, there's also room for doubt. I think about the kindness of God in that moment. Jesus didn't need the rock moved. He could have just walked out of the tomb. He shows up in a locked room. He can walk through walls or something. The rock is not an issue for him. But it is an issue for those three women. They can't see that the tomb is empty unless the rock is removed. And so the father does that. He leaves an angel. The angel doesn't say anything they hadn't already heard. For months, Jesus has been saying, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back in three days. He said it for months. Again, we read it and we're going, how did they miss it? He said it. But we know the rest of the story. They didn't. They didn't understand. But he, he had already told them everything the angel said. He had already said, I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna meet y'all in Galilee. The angel doesn't give any new information. 
But again, the kindness of God, he knows what the women need. He gives them everything that they need so they can believe, but he doesn't necessarily give them everything that they might want. Again, there's that space for faith, for trust. And we're in the same spot. Some of you are here today because it's Easter and you promised your mom or your spouse or whoever and they, they brought you here and we're so thankful and glad that you're here. And I wanna tell you as you're investigating who Jesus is, he's not gonna check every box in your mind. Every question you have is not gonna be answered. He doesn't work that way. He'll, 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 he'll reveal enough of himself so that you can believe that he's the king, that he's the savior and that he's the son of God. But he won't reveal so much that you don't have to take a risk. You could be wrong. You're not, but you could be. There's that space for all of us where faith is required. It's where Mary, Mary, and Salome were. It's where Mark's congregation was. It's where all of us live. We don't necessarily, we, we didn't see him die. We didn't see him put in a tomb, and we didn't see that tomb empty. What God gives us is the Bible, the church, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he gives to us. He gives us an objective record, this book, of who he is and of how he operates. You have four accounts in this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. You have a record, again, of who God is, a revelation, and of how he works. He gives us the church, capital C, the great cloud of witnesses, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people from all over the world, old, young, men, women, rich, poor, smart, not so smart, successful, failures, powerful, ordinary, all backgrounds for the last 2,000 years who would testify not just with their words, but with their lives that Jesus is the king and that he's worthy to be followed. There is no road that anybody in this room is walking that somebody else hasn't already been down. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. You have a book that says, here's who God is. And then you have, again, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people from all over the world throughout time who can say, I can testify that that's true in my own life. And I can testify with my life that that's true. He gives us the Holy Spirit. If you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he, he works on you. He's outside. You haven't invited him into your life yet. When you come up short, when you sin, when you don't do something that you know you should or you do something that you know you shouldn't, when you've, that, that feeling that you have, that's the Holy Spirit. He's pricking your conscience, which is also a gift from God. He's letting you know, hey, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And you know it wasn't right. The guilt that you feel, that's actually a gift from God. He wants us to know when we fall short. What we tend to do, and it's what we've done for, again, for as long as humans have lived, what we do is rather than acknowledge, hey, I've fallen short, we just change the rules so that we have it. We redefine sin, and then we look for people who are doing worse than us and say, well, at least I'm better than them. It makes us feel better. But you know as well as I do, in the stillness of the morning or the stillness of the night, whenever you're quiet, in your most honest moments, you know you're a sinner just like I do. You know you're falling short. You know you don't love everybody perfectly. We're not even talking about God at that point. You know there are times where you withhold love for people. You know there are times where you do things that are not loving. We've all done that. And the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he's, he wants you 
to feel guilty for that as a, as a, as a trigger to say, what, what do I do? And then he'll say, actually, that issue's already been taken care of. Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection pays a penalty for your sin. All the places where we come up short and our actions and our character and our words and our thoughts, all of those places. So you may be there this morning and I I don't want you to ignore that. For whatever reason you came, if you, again, maybe you were just trying to get somebody off your back, maybe you came out of genuine interest, I don't know. We're glad you're here. I want you to, again, just in the honesty of your own heart, can you acknowledge that you you come up short? It's not a criticism, it's just reality, we all do. Don't minimize, don't don't justify, don't avoid, acknowledge. That's the Holy Spirit. And he'll lead you to the truth of who Jesus is. Many of you, most of you have already made that decision to follow him and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you and he testifies to your spirit that you're a son or a daughter of God. He continues to lead you into the truth of who Jesus is. If we're honest, we would say it's not just that conversion where we have to take this step of faith, this risk. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, let me tell you that first step, as big as it is, it's just the first step. Life with him is a constant exercise of faith. There's constant, we're constantly having to take those risks. We know things in our head. We don't necessarily see them with our eyes. And we have to decide in that moment, well, is God good or is he not? Is God powerful or is he not? Does God see me or doesn't he? Is God just or is he not? Is God holy or is he not? We know all these things. We have the word that reveals those things. We have history that confirms that for us. And and even the Holy Spirit testifying in our heart, yes, he's trustworthy. And yet, we're Mary and the other Mary and Salome. We've got enough that we can believe, but there's still some room for doubt because it's not irrefutable, it's not undeniable, it's not incontrovertible. So what are we going to do in those moments? God will move the rock. God will send you an angel. But you're still going to have to exercise some faith. You still have to trust. And you still have to believe. Let's pray. I want to give you a chance to respond. I won't ask you to come forward. You can't get out of your row anyway. So we're going to, but I do want you to respond. I'm going to ask you to stand up, which I know can be super uncomfortable. It can be maybe even make you feel a bit embarrassed. And that's not the point. And it's certainly not for me to count people and say, yay, look what happened. It's just, a, it's, again, it's kind of that risk. It's that outward step of faith. And there's two groups. There's some of you, and I do believe there's some of you who are here today, and you don't know Jesus. And I want to pressure you, but I do want to give you an opportunity. I don't want you to miss the moment. I would encourage you, again, in the quietness of your own heart and your mind, Would you, could you acknowledge that you're not perfect? And again, rather than minimizing or justifying or denying, 
Could you allow yourself just to feel the weight of that? God is holy. He is perfect. He's looking for holiness from us, and we can't produce it. It creates a gap. We can work really hard and do our best and clean ourselves up and wash our face and our hands and recycle and help people cross the street. We can do all of that. But none of that makes up for the places where we fall short. And the great news is you don't have to. God knows there's a gap and we can't cross it. So he sent Jesus to do that for us. So I would encourage you here, if you're willing, just in your own heart, to acknowledge the places where you have come up short, where you are coming up short. Just pray something simple like this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all you have to pray, and he will. That's a prayer that's always been answered. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I just encourage you, whoever you came with, whoever you brought you here, just let them know that you prayed that. And you may still be trying to figure some things out. Every T is not crossed and every I is not dotted. But you know enough to take the risk and say, God, have mercy on me because I've sinned. And he will. I, I, I also think, again, I, I said we all live kind of in the empty tomb that's our reality, we don't get bodily, material appearances of Jesus. Again, we don't get the undeniable and the irrefutable. There's enough for us to believe, but not so much that we must. Faith always has to be exercised. But I'm also thinking there's a, a few of you here this morning, and you're really in the crucible. It's not just kind of garden variety. You're you're bewildered, if you were honest, maybe trembling a little bit, and maybe like those women, you would say, I haven't, I haven't even told anybody. If that's you, I would just ask you in humility to, to stand up, and you're not going to have to say anything or do anything. It'll just, we're just going to pray. Hopefully, everybody's eyes are closed. They're not looking at you anyway, but even if they are, it's not a big deal. I just encourage you to stand up if that's you, if you're in one of those empty tomb moments. Thanks. God, we pray for those who are in that spot, particularly today that you would remind them of what they already know. You would remind them of your faithfulness in the past. You would assure them of your faithfulness today. Whatever would be most meaningful to them, we pray that you would give them today in the way that they could most receive and understand. God, for all of us, I pray that we would be faithful to you. I pray, God, that we would grow in faith. I think of that father who says about his, who says to Jesus about his son, 
I believe that you can help him, but would you help me in the areas where I don't? And that's all of us. We believe and there are areas where we struggle to believe. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? We wanna live in the empty tomb in light of the resurrection. We're so thankful, Jesus, for all that you've done. We wanna walk out that reality in our life. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 